Good morning, Crosspoint. <clears throat> Thank you, worship team. I, uh, the speakers typically don't pick out the songs, but it's always kind of interesting how God seems to bring everything together uh, between the sermon and uh, the worship uh, portion of the service. So thank you. Uh, for those of you that know, don't know me, my name is Peter. I, uh, along with my wife and little daughter Madeline, we attend Cross Point Church here. We have for the last six years, this has been our, our church home. Uh, I'm not a pastor or, or deacon or elder here, um, but um, people always kind of ask me how I describe my role here. And I said, well, I don't know. You know, I just try to stay ready and I try to try to pitch in where I can. And so one of those areas where I, I try to stay ready is is with a, uh, a word from, from God. Sometimes it's in the form of a sermon, like you'll hear today. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, Dave asked me to, to preach and kind of close out this series, uh, Endless Summer, Songs That Never End. And as you know, if you've been with us, we've been going through the Psalms together. And so here we arrive today at Psalm 150, the last, uh, the last chapter in the book of Psalms. I think last year, maybe even the year before, I, I closed out the series on Romans. So with uh, uh, the last sermon in that series. So I don't know if I have a new role here. Maybe it's the, the closer. I don't know. So. <clears throat> anyway, uh, if you would, turn your Bibles to Psalm 150. Psalm 150. Uh, just leave it open there. We're going to go back to uh, read this portion of Scripture in a moment, but we'll be in Psalm 150 today almost exclusively. So I was thinking, you know, it is the end of summer, and so that marks a very important time here in Wisconsin. And, you know, it's important for a, a bunch of different, to a bunch of different people. Um, you know, I come from farm country, so it's harvest season is going to be around the corner. It's been going, you know, I was up by my parents a couple of weeks ago and they were picking sweet corn like crazy, you know, and uh, so now pretty soon, you know, people are chopping silage and, and uh, getting it ready to go in the silo and everything. But for others that maybe aren't farmers, it is the beginning. We're right around the corner from packer season, football season, right? And so, you know, I was watching some of these preseason games, and it's always kind of interesting. It's the same thing with the Olympics. Uh, you hear all these um, post-game interviews, and, uh, you know, they stick a microphone in their face, and it's who knows what they're going to say, but it's usually just a bunch of cliches. You know, it's the same message, uh, just said in a million different ways. Uh, but it, it's just, it's, it's funny what, what, well, you'll hear some of these athletes say, you know, they'll say things, you know, we, we, they always, we came to play today, or hey, we brought our A game, or we played our hearts out, or uh, they just wanted it a little bit more than we did, or oh, we just didn't get the job done. They always say something with those, one of those phrases thrown in. And I think about, uh, what a cliche is, I know uh, every every year that I went to college, I had uh, a different roommate, um, set of roommates, and I always was, I guess, fortunate enough to have a roommate uh, that didn't speak English as their first language. So, you know, I had a roommate from the Middle East, I had a roommate from Indonesia and from Germany, and uh, and so I always thought that was, that was kind of interesting, and, uh, you know, when we were talking together, getting to know each other, 
um, they would always mention to me, oh man, what's one of the hardest things about learning English or about English? And they always would say, well, you know, you say all these different phrases and they don't really mean things uh, that, you know, you think they should mean. Oh, like a cliche? They said, yeah. And so I was thinking of some some common cliches like time will tell or no news is good news or live and let live. What goes around comes around. One step at a time, and just how, how if you were just learning the English language, how, how strange that must, must sound. But here in Christian circles, you know, we use cliches as well, don't we? You know, sometimes we use these little cliches to uh, represent maybe some profound statements, uh, but, you know, they're just common language to us. You know, so often we hear little phrases and, and jargon that we use here, like we use the word fellowship a lot. Well, we're going to fellowship, and we're going to have a fellowship, and fellowship, fellowship, fellowship. You also hear uh, phrases like, uh, well, I'm praying for you, which may be true, but it's sometimes just a tagline, isn't it? We use phrases like, uh, well, we'll agree with God, and uh, even phrases like, praise the Lord. It seems like we use that so often, it can sometimes loses full meaning what that actually means. I'm always reminded of, of, a, of a story I heard not, you know, when I was a boy about this man who was trying to train his horse. And he was a very religious man, so he thought that he would train his horse um, to, to respond to commands uh, like religious commands, uh, commands that would relate to uh, church or, or God. So he had this horse, and it was a pretty good horse, but... Um, he was, he was going to train it, and how he was going to do that is <clears throat> when uh, he wanted the horse to go, he would say, praise the Lord, and then the horse would go. And when he would wanted the horse to stop, he would say, hallelujah. And so, you know, it took a little while, but this horse kind of got the, the, the hang of it, and... Uh, you know, pretty soon they're off going down the road and, you know, whenever he wanted the, the horse to go, he would say, praise the Lord. And uh, whenever he wanted the horse to stop, he would say, hallelujah. Well, one day they were out for a ride and uh, they were going along and all of a sudden the horse went crazy. It went kind of berserk and it just started running down the road and he couldn't get it to stop. He was doing everything he could. He was pulling the reins and saying, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. He couldn't remember the, the phrases that he had taught the horse. Well, they're going down the road there, and pretty soon he knew that just around the bend there was a big cliff with a drop-off of 100 feet. And so they're barreling toward that, and the horse was not going to stop. He's like, well, this is it. You know, I can't get this horse to stop. So finally, he just, right before the edge of the cliff, he gets right to the edge and he yells, well, hallelujah, and the horse stops right before the edge of the cliff. The man stops, he uh, wipes his brow, and he goes, Ah, praise the Lord. <laughs> no, that's kind of a funny little story, but, uh, you know, sometimes we, uh, sometimes we uh, treat praise the Lord as just a cliche. But today I want us to, to discover that it's, it's more than that. It's, it's not, praise the Lord is not some meaningless jargon or, or activity. There is power in praise. And so as we come to the end of the book of Psalms here, we have five Psalms, 145, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50. And they are all Psalms of praise. And so with that, let's turn to Psalm 150 and uh, read it together. 
I'm going to be reading out of my New American Standard Bible. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Maybe your Bible says heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with harp in lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with string instruments and pipe. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So, in this psalm, if you just first glance, you notice a few things. Thirteen times, he starts out by saying, Praise Him, or praise the Lord. In the Hebrew, praise the Lord is the same phrase as hallelujah. They're interchangeable. It's the same word. Praise the Lord or hallelujah. In, again, six short verses, he uses this 13 times. So there, I guess we have the theme for Psalm 150. And so this morning, what we want to do is I want to answer four questions from Psalm 150 as relates to praise. First, we want to answer the question, where to praise? Secondly, why should we praise? How should we praise? And who should praise? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these next few moments that we have together as we explore uh, Psalm 150. Lord, uh, you're worthy of praise. We know that. You do so many things for us. We could just spend this morning just listing them off if we actually thought about it. But Father, this this morning, help us as we navigate through this, this passage of Scripture. Help us to glean some truth from it. Help me to be clear and concise this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we go to the beginning of Psalm 150... Praise Him in the sanctuary. We're going to seek to answer the question, where should we praise? So sanctuary means a consecrated place, a holy place, a holy set-aside place, like the holy of holies. You see, the Jews would have understood this language of sanctuary. You see, that was the reason for the annual pilgrimage where the Jews would go to Jerusalem. They came to the sanctuary to present their sacrifice and praise to God. Today we don't have a temple with an outside court marked for Gentiles or an inner court uh, marked for the Jews or an altar for animal sacrifice. But if you think about it, the Israelites, they tended to, to just isolate God to the tabernacle, didn't they? Or to the temple. Sometimes it seems that the, the ancient Jews or the Israelites, they, they forgot that God was with them in the wilderness. It was God who was with them when he parted the Red Sea. It was God who thundered down from Mount Sinai. But we don't have the temple today, do we? We don't have the, 
the sanctuary. So where is the sanctuary? What is this referring to? Is it a building? Is it West Dallas Central Auditorium? Is it the Goodwill Building at 110th in Oklahoma? Is it the old Mount Sinai? Is it the Basilica St. Joseph at downtown? Where is this sanctuary? But I want you to understand that through the grace and the goodness and the gift of Christ, the, the place, our sanctuary has shifted, hasn't it? It's not a building or a tent or a sanctuary where God chooses to dwell. It's inside of you and I. God's sanctuary is everywhere that he is. And therefore, God's sanctuary is wherever you and I are in that moment. So the answer is, where should we praise Him? Everywhere. Praise Him in the shower. I mean, praise Him in the car. Praise Him at work. Praise Him while you're doing yard work. Praise Him while you're cooking. So we realize that while God doesn't reside in one specific place, He doesn't reside in this auditorium necessarily, He does reside in us. So praise Him everywhere you may be. As we read on here, why should we praise the Lord? Let's look at verse 2. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Earlier in the Psalms, David writes, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim your handiwork. Day after day they pour out Speech, night after night, they display knowledge. So certainly, this verse talking about God's mighty works and deeds are are referring to creation. Do you stop to enjoy it? But also, think about the miracles that He's created within you. Have you stopped to think about that? What miracles has He created in your life? You know, he didn't have to think you up, did he? But he did. He didn't have to make and mold you in in your mother's womb, but, but he did. You know, he didn't have to put us back together when we were broken or give us a second chance, but he did. You know, he could have left us to our own devices, our own making, feeling the full weight and guilt of our sin, but he didn't. Instead, he came in the fullness of time and he came in the fullness of grace and truth. He didn't have to give us a second chance. He he did. He didn't have to allow us to live in America, one of the greatest, most privileged countries in the world. But he did. He didn't have to give this little forgotten boy in the slums of Atlanta, whose family didn't want him. He didn't have to give this boy a chance. He didn't have to allow me to be adopted into a Christian family. He didn't have to offer up his only begotten son, but he did. I don't know about you, but I'm reminded when I think about my life, when I think about what he's done for us, I'm right there with the hymn writer when the hymn writer says, and when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die to take away my sin, that on the cross his burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. You know what that makes me want to do? Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee how great thou art. It wants me to say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. 
There's a second part to verse 2. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Psalm 145 verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Psalm 147 verse 5, Great is the Lord and mighty in power. His understanding his no, has no limit. You see, when we praise God for who He is, we are recognizing His surpassing greatness, or as the Hebrew indicates, for His muchness of greatness, His excellent greatness. You see, true praise is not contingent upon our perception of God's goodness, or what He chooses to bless us with, or chooses not to bless us with. You see, true praise is a response for what He has done, and what He continues to do, and what He will do. We move now to verse 3. How should we praise the Lord? How should we praise the Lord? I think the short answer here, and we'll kind of dig into this a little bit deeper over verses 3 through 6, but it's pretty clear we should praise Him with everything we've got. With everything we've got. The next three verses, verses three, four, five, tell us how to do it. Three of these six verses speak about the method of worship. And so we should spend a little time on this. You know, so often, um, you know, I've visited different churches over the years as you have, and, uh, and I, I can think about, you know, some, some people I know and uh, maybe we're confronted with a, a worship experience that we haven't uh, experienced before that makes us a little uncomfortable. And so, I, you know, I've been there before and, you know, I'm just thinking, oh man, well, this is, this is not the way I would praise the Lord. I'm telling you that. But, you know, there's really no my way how to praise the Lord. There's only God's way, right? And so we want to kind of explore that together. Now, I think in kind of unpacking this, um, we should differentiate the difference between worship and praise. Did you know that there is a difference between worship and praise? They're not the same thing, but you can't separate the two. They go hand in hand like peas and carrots or, uh, I don't know, peanut butter and jelly or Wisconsin and football. They go together. Before we can truly understand worship, we have to look at praise. That's where it begins. Praise is one of those vital links that connects us to God. Now, I want you to think of of praise like this. When I was uh, just a little boy, I'll I'll still remember we had a a long driveway, a very long driveway. Our driveway is almost a mile long. It was all gravel. And uh, you could hear cars coming down the road uh, at you know when they started, you know that that sound where there's imagine you know I grew up in the middle of nowhere, so imagine that you're just used to not hearing any traffic all day, and then you would hear uh, a car coming down the driveway, and you'd hear it a long way off. And so when I was a, a little boy, my sister and I would always listen, probably about four o'clock, four thirty, five o'clock. We would listen for my dad coming home from work down the driveway. 
So we could hear his car kind of coming through the trees, and then we could hear when he entered the driveway, and then we would run out to meet him. And here we were, you know, four or five years old. Maybe your children do this, or maybe you remember doing this. We ran out to meet him, and he would pull in the driveway, and wherever we could meet him, maybe we made it a 100 yards up the road, he would jump out and he would scoop us up after work. That was our favorite time when, when Dad was coming home. And I remember... We, he would scoop at us in our arms and, you know, we'd be jumping and screaming and just carrying on. I think that's what a picture of praise would be like. It's an unbridled response to my dad coming home. And that's what praise is, an unbridled response to, to God and who he is. But to contrast that with worship, worship would be like, I remember when he would scoop us up in our arms after we kind of got through the initial, initial, ah, dad is home. He would scoop us up in our arms and we'd say, or he'd say, daddy, he'd like, I love you, Peter. I love you, Anna. I'm just so glad you're home. You mean the whole world to me. These type of sweet things that we would say back and forth while he was holding us would be like worship. You see, when we're praising, it's our response, an unbridled, kind of uncalculated response to who God is and what he's done. But when we're worshiping, we're affirming our feelings toward him. In a set, you, you kind of see the difference? It's a more, a, praise is more of a celebration and worship is more of an intimate time. That's one way to kind of simply break it down. And so what we're talking about here is, is not worship and there's a time for both. I think that even today we've done both, right? But this isn't necessarily what Psalm 150 is talking about. It's talking about uh, this unrefined unbridled, spontaneous praise. See, balancing these two, praise and worship, is easier once we recognize that they both coexist and they have a distinctive function. We need both. Both are necessary. Both are good. But I think praise is where it begins. How do we praise? The Bible says praise is to be declared or manifested. So if we look at Psalm 66, verse 8, it says, Let the sound of praise be heard. Let the sound of praise be heard. Well, what does that mean? Well, praise has a sound to it, doesn't it? Praise has to be vocalized. In other words, it's impossible to praise with your mouth shut. You say, well, you know, my voice... Uh, isn't the best? Well, I can tell you, Psalm 66, we, God already knows. He says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. So, praise is to be vocalized. Let's read verses 3 through 5 one more time. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with harp and lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. 
Praise Him with string instruments. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Charles Spurgeon, in his commentary on this passage, writes, Let the clash of the loudest music be the Lord's. Let the joyful clang of the loftiest notes be all for Him. Praise has beaten the tambourine, swept the harp, sounded the trumpet. And now, for a last effort, awakening the most heavy of slumberers and startling the most indifferent of onlookers, praise dashes together discs of brass, the cymbals, and with sounds both loud and high proclaims the glories of the Lord. Boy, that's a pretty accurate description of verses 3 through 5. I'm not Charles Spurgeon, so I just... I. Uh, I made some just general observations, although I'm not as eloquent as him. Number one, I see through verses three through five. These instruments that they're talking about, they don't really go together, do they? Not necessarily. I mean, think about it. If you were to hear all these instruments together, what would that sound like? It's not something you would necessarily tune your radio to. It's not something that... Mozart would write, or Bach would write, or Beethoven would write, or even, you know, I don't know, Justin Bieber would write. You know, it's not something that you would probably listen to. The emphasis here doesn't seem to be so much that it's easy listening, or pleasing to listen to, or mood-setting music. It seems to be that whatever your voice, whatever your instrument, whatever your talent level, praise the Lord. Second, I see, verse 4, praise him with tambourine and dancing. This is a little hard to swallow for a kid who grew up, you know, Lutheran and then uh, dancing. Well, that's what it says. Dancing was involved. Uh, why, why dancing? I, well, I don't know. I think, I, have you ever been so excited that you just wanted to, uh, to dance? H- have you been there? You know, I think so much in our culture, dancing is more of a, an art form or, or uh, it's been reduced to, a, you know, a competition or, or something like that. But, you know, the, the dancing that we're talking about in, in, in Psalm 150, it wasn't ballet, it wasn't tap, it wasn't hip-hop, it wasn't the waltz. It was probably an all-out combination, an all-out response to God's goodness. Who knows what that would have looked like? Number three, I see it was probably loud. He mentions, he spends a whole verse kind of talking about the symbols here. Praise him with loud symbols. Praise him with resounding symbols. Those of you that like quiet music to kind of put you in the mood, you know, that's okay. That, that You're probably talking about worship music. This is talking about praise music. And from what I gather here, it was probably loud. This kind of, this convicted me because it, uh, it kind of forced me to kind of face my own views of worship. You know, and so much of that is based on traditions, you know. You know, I, I remember my, my mom is 100% Swedish, and she grew up in a Swedish Lutheran church. All they had was an organ, you know. 
Same thing with my dad. He grew up in a, a German-speaking Lutheran church in near Mankato, Minnesota. And all they had was, you know, an organ if they had one, if it was working. And so that's kind of the how I grew up. Maybe you did too. And so, <laughs> you know... The thought of having, you know, guitars and drums and everything, well, I would thought, you know, well, is that worship? And then you read Psalm 115, and it's definitely praise, isn't it? And so I think that today, maybe there's a lesson here that we can legitimately add our own musical instruments that we have today in 2016 to this list of instruments you know, there's been so much uh, controversy of, about what it should sound like and what it should look like and, 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 and all this. And sometimes I think it's a matter of culture and, we, and, uh, and taste rather than spirituality. How should we praise Him with everything we've got? Number four, our last question for today is, who should praise the Lord? Who should praise Him? Verse six, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I think of the book of Revelation and in John's vision how he's depicting what it must look like in heaven. John writes, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is within them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb to be praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. I want everybody here, just for a second, to take a deep breath in and exhale. Congratulations. You are uniquely qualified to praise God. That's all it takes. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Our reminder for this morning is give the Lord your best praise. And let others do the same. It doesn't matter what instrument you play, whether you sing alto or soprano or all of them in between during the same song. It doesn't matter at all. What matters today and every day is that you have a heart that says to your mouth, open up and speak of his greatness. Praise him till your breath is gone. As, as I close today, I'm, I'm kind of reminded of a story. And, you know, you know some of us, and I, I'm guilty of this too, I went a long time without being able to really praise God. I, I, don't, I don't know why. I didn't know why at the time. I know why looking back. But, but maybe that's you. It, you know, you, you, you kind of go through the motions, but you feel like you're not really able to praise Him. And, and the question is why? And I'm reminded of this little boy in the country, kind of like probably how I grew up, and this was around the turn of the century, and, you know, people didn't have a lot of money, but this boy heard the circus was coming into town. And so he asked his father, 
you know, can I have some money to go to the circus? Well, sure, if you, if you do your chores and you hurry up, I'll give you some money to go to the circus. And so he was looking forward to this, and Saturday morning came, and his dad gave him 50 cents. Here you go, son, you can go see the circus. And so the little boy off to town, he runs, and uh, as, as he approached town, he could see the commotion. He could, he could see all the people lining the streets, and, and you can just see him there. He, he, as he, the people are lining the streets along the, the parade route, um, he was kind of parting people. You know, have you ever been? I do this all the time. I still do it because I'm five foot six. But anyway, you know, you're kind of parting the ways to see what you can see. And there he is. He's, he's almost face to face as the, the, the tiger cage is rolling by and, you know, the band is rolling by and the clowns are, are rolling by and it, it's just, it's an amazing experience. And the little boy is just there and he's looking at everything and pretty soon he sees the end of the parade. So he, he, he runs up and he was just so happy. He hands the 50 cents to the last clown. And then he, was just so overwhelmed, he just runs home. And he tells his dad all, all about the circus that he saw. And, and the boy, and the dad says, son, you, you didn't see the circus, you, you just saw the parade. So he, can you imagine the little boy's disappointment? Here he's given all his money just to see the parade. He didn't even know that there was a, a circus. And you know, I think sometimes people come to church like this little boy went to the circus, you know, they come with intending on, on worshiping God, but all they see is the parade. We see the singing, we see the prayers, we have the communion, we have the preaching, and they're peering through the pews, and all of a sudden the clock strikes 11 or 12, and, and, and they get up and they, they go home, but, you know, they miss the main event. They miss the main event. The main event is an encounter with Jesus Christ that causes us to praise. And so I think the answer to your question, if you find yourself unable to praise God, is have you had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ? Have you? According to these psalms that we've been studying all throughout the summer, if you and I have had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, we have only one response, and that response takes many forms. It's not ritualistic, it's not it's unrefined, it's it's, it's spontaneous, and that response is to praise Him. Have you had an encounter with Jesus Christ? Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this message from Psalm 150. All throughout these these psalms from 1 to 150, we've seen your goodness. We've seen your, your, your grace. We've seen your, the story of your mercy following the life of the psalmist and then can, that can be applied to our life. We thank you for that today. Lord, if there's anybody here that hasn't had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, who hasn't been able to experience this unbridled praise, we pray that you will meet with them today. Find them where they are. And that they yield themselves to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Just one announcement today. Uh, from 1 to 5 today at the new building. They're having a work day. Uh, from 1 to 5 over at the 
the building location, 110th in Oklahoma. <clears throat> the, uh, the benediction is from Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know He that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And His faithfulness to all generations. Amen. Have a great day.